Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think we should start this one with a swing through says what? Schwenkter says, pardon? Hello, everyone. It's Daz here from Not Another Whiskey Podcast. Have you ever wanted to jump back and forward over the Highland and Lowland line? Do you tour whiskey regions on family holidays, dragging your screaming kids around eight distillery tours a day just to get those distilleries bagged? Do you have a wee map of the regions on your fridge door with updated production volumes and OLAs so that you can region out your pals? Like Mitch, do you read the 1784 Wash Act before you go to bed every single night? It's quite romantic. Have you memorised the Highland and Lowland line? Here we go. Are you ready for this? Right. The line begins at the North Canal and runs along the southern foreshore of the Fir, Forth and Clyde to Greenock. And from there to Cardraw Station, the eastwards in a straight line to the summit of Earl's Seat in the Campsie Fells, and then eastwards in a straight line to the Wallace Monument, and from there, eastwards along the line of the B998 and the A91 roads until the A91 meets the M90 road at Milnathorpe, and then along the M90 towards northwards until the Bridge of Erne, and then along the River Erne until its confluence with the River Tay, and then along the southern foreshore of that river and the Firth of Tay until it comes to the North Sea. There we go. How about that? Give me a round of applause for that, mate. That was, that was good effort. I think Thank you're the you. first person to ever read that out loud on any kind of uh, medium. Uh, I think any medium that's in, intended for entertainment, I think you could be right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll apologise for that. Um, but if you haven't walked or cycled it by the end of this week, you really do have to ask yourself if you are even a whiskey fan. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about today, Mitch. That's what this session is all about. We're going to look at Lowland Distilleries, the overlooked region, probably the most overlooked region in there's a few reasons, aren't there, why we shouldn't be overlooking this. And our pals at King's Barnes, who are a lowland distillery, have very generously sponsored this episode. We are going up in the world, mate. Mate, can you believe it? And, and this is a genuine sponsorship here. So thank you very much to King's Barnes for sponsoring us. This isn't like one of the made-up sponsors that we used to do back in the, the first couple of episodes here. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but now I'm excited about this one, mate, because, you know, we, we both live in the lowlands of Scotland, so I think we should be talking about it. And I think it's one of the most un underrated whiskey regions out there. This episode, we're going to delve into a little bit of lowland history 
also touch on the regions of Scotland as well and, and you know, see if they're still relevant within the modern day whiskey world with regards to flavor profiles and all that kind of stuff. As we mentioned, Kings Barnes is the sponsor. So we do have Peter Holroyd, who is the manager of Kings Barnes. Uh, and I sat down with him early in the week to do a little interview. Daz was meant to be there as well, but he was kind of busy. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a jam-packed show, mate. So yeah, looking forward to this one. Excited about it. Yeah, no, I'm buzzing about it. And, and like you, yeah, we're, we are from the Lowland region. Um, but I, I, I grew up in Fife and, and with King's Barnes, uh, I have a particular connection because my granddad was the Coast Guard in the East Nuke of Fife for, for many, many years. And they lived up, Crail, Pitt and Weem, Anstruther. And I, I used to cycle along to King's Barnes before there was a distillery there and go to the beaches because they've got beautiful beaches down there at King's Barnes. And I, I remember that very, very well as a, as a young lad. So I was really excited to, to hear that King's Barnes was going to have a distillery. Um, I felt that was something that was uh, really, really exciting. And I've been to the distillery um, in the past, but I must go back with you. We should do a, a Mitch and Daz little Absolutely. road trip. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I, I've been there a few times. And the first time I went there, you're probably going to hate this story, Daz, because this is another like Mitch Freebie story. But oh, I, was, uh, I was there. I, I was just <laughs> hanging out with some Buckle mates. your seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> I was just hanging out with some mates and we had a house um, just on the coast there. And I, I remember doing an Instagram and then they, they messaged me saying like, oh, come along to the distillery. And that's, uh, you know, I just jumped in the car, a couple of mates, and we got a wee free tour around there, which was very nice of them. So that, that was my first experience. At that point, I was living in the US and I had no idea that there was any whiskey being made there. So it was a real yeah. surprise for me going through, you know? No, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one, but we have had a few requests, haven't we? Um, and it's brilliant. Thank you so much uh, to those that have sent us wee messages, uh, given us an idea of the sort of stuff that you want us to talk about or you want us to bring people in to hear a little bit more about. Um, and uh, Chris Williams had asked if uh, we would ever have a Cooper come in. And uh, I immediately tagged in my most qualified Cooper friend, who is uh, Stuart McPherson, who is the master of wood at Edrington um, and, and obviously does a lot of work on, on McAllen. I've been to Jerez a number of times uh, with Stuart uh, over there um, out on the, the hunt for good sherry casks um, and also on the hunt for just a few sherries to enjoy and uh, sit back and take it all in with. So I'm hoping all going well, and I, I'm not promising this, but um, I'm hoping our good friend Stuart McPherson might be able to join us because uh, he is a cooper, uh, was a cooper by trade. Um, he he then moved on and, and became the kind of head guy uh, for Edrington on on the wood supply for their lovely sherry casks. Brilliant, mate. Yeah, it's a good shout. And I've, uh, I'm good friends with Ian McDonald, who was head cooper at Balvenie for 50 years. We could maybe get him on at the same time. They could have a cooper off. Oh, do you know what we should do with two Coopers? It's like celebrity death match and get them to arm wrestle, right? Because every yeah. time you see these Coopers, they do. They've got forearms like Popeye. Do you know what I mean? Massive, yeah, Massive. yeah. Well, I love the I love the story about Ian McDonald because he's quite small. So they call they call him a, they used to call him a Mini Cooper. Brilliant. Uh, he was a Mini Cooper S when he was younger, but because yeah. he's slowed down now, he got a little bit older. He's a Mini Cooper. So we uh, we we just called Stuart McPherson a lump of wood, <laughs> rather than the master of wood. Was it Infinity Bottlings, wasn't it, that somebody wanted to have a chat about as well? 
Yeah, James. James wanted to chat about that. So let's chat about that quickly. I mean, you you make a bottle and, well, you have an empty bottle and you don't finish your bottle up or finish your bottle off. You pour it into that bottle and you keep doing that. There we go. Yeah. We've covered it off. Episode yeah. done. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Good yeah, good idea, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, James. It is a good, it's a good idea. Um, I just don't, I don't know how long we could, if we could do a whole episode on it. I, I've never done an infinity bottle before. Have you, Daz? Uh, I have actually, yeah, yeah. I used to just sort of put the last 25 or 50 mils of whatever I had knocking about. I used to just fire them into one bottle. Um, I'd quite often enjoy it in a highball or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. All right, man. So let's talk about what, what's been happening this week. What have you been up to? Do you know, I had to I had to go back through and go, what, what's been going on? Um, well, I told you, I was, I was at SLTN, wasn't I? So I bumped into our good pal, uh, Mr. Brendan McCarran, which was lovely. Uh, I've got a funny story about that, which I'll come back to. Um, <laughs> Nauticus, our pals down at Nauticus and Leith, uh, they won Whiskey Bar of the Year. Um, so congratulations to those guys. So the SLTN is the Scottish Licensed Trade News, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with it. And they do an award ceremony. So it's probably the first big gathering for quite a long time for a lot of the hospitality guys, bar owners, uh, operators, and things like that. So it was a really, really good night. Um I think there'll be a few sore heads. This is uh, this was on Thursday, so there'll be a, there would have been a few sore heads on Friday morning. That's for sure. And actually, I was doing some filming as well, mate, with um, Mike McGinty from uh, from Bacardi, and they've got the Dewar's malt. So uh, we were actually tasting some nice Craig Ellickies. We did the twelve and mm. the seventeen. The seventeen was really really good actually, and I didn't realise this, but they've actually redone Royal Brackla. That that some of that sherry stuff from there is really good, really really good, and it's something that um, I I don't think I've tried. Certainly not in the recent past, you know, in the last five years or so. Uh, and we tried a wee Altmore as well, the twelve year old, which is like classic space side, proper bursting with like apples and pears and little bits of vanilla and stuff like that. So that was pretty good. But me, I've got a good story, right? So we're at SLTN Awards and uh, I bumped into our good pal Alan Gow. Uh, Alan is a, a guy that Mitch and I have worked with in the past, and he's he's a, he's a brilliant guy. He works in the soft drinks uh, business, looks after London Essence, good mixers and things. So it's just um, as well he's in soft drinks now. He was, he yeah, was yeah, totally. danger when he was in booze. He was a, a, <laughs> absolutely uh, hazardous human to be around. Um, but anyway, so Alan's walking through the SLTN awards. He's at the reception area or something like that. He's never met Brendan McCarran before the master distiller for Distel. So he's walking past him and he's like, oh, Brendan. And so Brendan looks at him and goes, hi, mate, how you doing? And he's like, uh, oh, you're, uh, you're that guy from Daz and Mitch's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and Brendan's like, I was, I was on the podcast that, right? And it's like, that's brilliant that, that Brendan is now being recognised um, through our podcast rather than his role as the master distiller on some fairly significant more whiskey brands <laughs> you're, you're welcome brendan it's about time you got some recognition for someone it was a lot of a lot of fun it was a good night so yeah what about you man what's been happening first thing i did was went out with my good friend greg urquhart so he invited me around to his house and he's got this amazing bar it's basically he's, he's converted his shed into this bar and he's got a sign on it saying no one leaves here sober and that's exactly what happened that night. Mm -hmm. It was crazy, man. I mean, we were doing like espresso martinis with uh, some Eagle Rare bourbon. Wow. Uh, we did some penicillins uh, with some Ardbeg. Yeah, and a load of whiskeys, obviously. 
But and then we ended up, uh, we went into town and we got into Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, even though it was opening oh, night. Oh, the Bread Street place. Yeah, yeah. We managed to get in there. I don't know, don't know how we ended up there, but we ended up there for for the the, the rest of the night. Um, so that was a fun night. Kind of a couple of couple of days hangover after that one. Uh, I did a wee Glen Cadam and Tom and Tal tasting with Ian, which was really cool. Just a little virtual one, uh, well, which I introduced you to, Ian. So you you did, and today. I got some lovely samples from Glenn Cadam and Tom and Till. Nice. So my friendship with you has finally started paying off, which is really good. <laughs> it's finally got you some free whiskey, mate. There you yeah, go. Hey, I've only been waiting 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, that was, that, was, that was good. And they actually had the uh, Tom and Tal cigar malt on that, which we talked about uh, a couple of episodes. Yeah. Uh, and then last night I hosted a tasting with... Deval Gandhi from the Lakes and uh, Pete Allison from uh, Woven. Uh, so two of our good friends there. So that was really cool. Did that with the Larkfire guys. We had about, um, we had about 40, 50 people on the, again, virtual tasting, but really interesting juice. We went through some of the Woven stuff and Deval's new Sequoia Lakes mm. whiskey, which is sensational. Right. And I also had a nice wee meetup and lunch with Charlie McLean. Brilliant. So How was went that? up to his flat, had a couple of Negronis, oh. uh, and then, uh, yeah, we just went out to the Bailey down in Stockbridge, had a burger and a couple of beers. And then, um, you know, we discussed this podcast, and he may be coming on the podcast, a little sneak peek for people there. But yeah. How's he doing? He's good, man. Yeah, always yeah. good. Yeah. Good so man. that's been my week. i crazy. All right, so anyway, this week, we're going to be talking about the lowland region of Scotland, so let's get into it. I thought we would start off, Daz, by doing some interesting facts. Now it's time for some interesting whiskey facts that definitely won't get you any new friends on a Friday or Saturday night while standing in a bar. Might work on a Monday or Tuesday, though. All right, so interesting facts that will not get you any new friends. The lowlands is actually the largest whiskey-producing region in Scotland, so if anyone wants to shout out that Speyside is the biggest whiskey making region in Scotland, then yes, it is. If you're talking about single malts, but when we bring grain whiskey into it, then Lowlands is king. So the Lowlands produces 408 million litres of whiskey per year, 386 million litres of that being grain whiskey, which is pretty incredible. Now, Daz, we're going we're gonna to cover this off a little bit later on, but, you know, you think about in our Diageo days, we always just talked about two distilleries, right, in the lowlands of Scotland, and that was it, making single malt Scotch whiskey. Now we have 16 single malt distilleries in the lowlands, five grain distilleries, so in total, 21 distilleries in the lowlands of Scotland. That's it, and, and, and this is why I guess it's one of those when you, when you think about it, and when we were just talking about, you know, what... Is the, is the Lowlands an exciting enough region to have an episode on? Well, we and live actually, in it, so that makes it exciting. Yeah, well, of course, of course. But actually, it's, it's, it's arguably the most exciting for that reason. And, and the reason <laughs> why is it's this tension between the fact that it's the largest whiskey-producing region, but it's also the least talked about. And, and that, that's something that I'm sure will change as, as, as more of these distilleries, which... I'm sure you'll mention uh, very shortly, uh, you know, start to produce great single malts, start to become renowned for, you know, their style, their their house styles and, and things like that. Well, let's talk about the distilleries we have here. Elsa Bay, Auchentoshan, The Borders, Inch Derny, 
Bladnock, Ardross, Annandale, the Clydeside, Glasgow, Lindor's Abbey, Holyrood, Arbeke, Eden Mill, Daft Mill, Strathern, Glen Kinchy, and of course, our good friends at King's Barnes. So that's a lot of new distilleries, a lot of new, a lot of new distilleries, mate. A lot mm. of new distilleries. And that's just the single malts there. So then we, when we move on to the grain distilleries, we've got North British, Cameron Bridge, Girvan, Strathclyde, and Starlaw. And plans, was it Jackson as well? Grain distillery they've got planning permission for down in the borders. That's right. Um, I forgot about and that. That 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 has that in in Hoyk? Uh, it's down that way. Yeah, they haven't broke ground yet. But we we did talk about that very briefly, didn't we, in one of the other episodes? Yeah. yeah. The old stories always talk about the lowland whiskies being triple distilled, and I can see why they might think that it's proximity, perhaps to Ireland and and that that lighter, grassier style, which there is a, a genuine reason for, which we'll we'll come on to later on. Um, but very few distilleries are triple distilled. Ockintoshan is one that's that's renowned for it. Glasgow Distillery, are they doing it all the time? No, or, mate, they're or... just doing it. Uh, I, I, I don't know the percentage, but they just have a partly triple distilled distillation yeah. going on. Uh, Springbank uh, have a triple distilled expression as well that they come out with. So there's there's a few distilleries doing it. There were more probably in the past, um, but double distillations are absolutely the you know, where people are at in general. But the lowlands, I suppose, if you were to talk about them in, in general, they do have a lighter style. Triple distilled will give you that, but uh, it's it's not a fact. <laughs> Definitely not a fact that Definitely lowland fact. distilleries are triple distilled. Yeah. So don't try and say that fact if you're trying to make some new friends. Don't do that because you won't make any new friends. Das Mitch's Whiskey News of the Week. All right, so what's been happening in the news? Well, I saw that Ardnahoe pulled its first legal whiskey out of cask, um, literally as it was legal. I don't know if you saw this, Daz, but they posted it on, on their Instagram it. page. It was yeah, really yeah. cool. They had like a whole sort of procession almost with this cask from uh, uh, 2018. Uh, and as the clock struck 12, they pulled the whiskey out of it and they tasted it, which I thought was really cool to see. Uh, you know, and, cool. and we've chatted about Ardnahoe before on, on the show, beautiful distillery. Uh, over there on Isla. So well done to them. Congratulations, yeah. guys, for legally having a whiskey now. Yeah, very well done. Very well done. There's a thing called Copper Cairn. Is that yes, true? mate. Yes. I'm going to do a self plug for myself on yes. the podcast here because I think actually I have made kind of history here uh, with Copper Cairn doing the first ever whiskey retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've, uh, I've come up with this crazy idea and I'm going to be doing a whiskey retreat up in Speyside on June the 17th to the 20th. And it's going to be a three night, four day, all inclusive experience. And I'm working with some good friends of mine, including an amazing chef in Edinburgh, Emma Hanley, who uh, is now the head chef at uh, Tattoo, which is an unbelievable uh, Thai yeah. restaurant in Edinburgh. I'm working with Claire Martin, who you know, uh, mm-hmm. Daz. Uh, she's going to be the yoga instructor. And I'm working with my wife, uh, who is, uh, she does sign baths, she does Reiki. So what we're doing is we're bringing in this whole idea of a wellness retreat, but bringing in whisk- whiskey in there as well. So the whole idea is that it will be uh, three nights, four days, staying up at the Craig Ellicke Lodge up in Speyside. There's only 10 places available. Everything is included, uh, all your food, yoga, sign bath, whiskey dinners, 
distillery trips, all that kind of good stuff, transportation all around Speyside. So I'm really excited about hosting that and getting that on the go uh, next year, mate. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Pernod Ricard um, have opened the Chuan Distillery in, in China, and that's big, big news. Um, mainland Chinese um, single malt distillery. Um, good pal of, of mine, a guy called Stephen Notman, um, who's lived out there for a very long time. He set up Whiskey L, uh, which was the, the first sort of whiskey festival in mainland China back in 2009 and and he's been working on this with Pernod to to basically bring malt whiskey to to mainland china i've seen quite a lot of pictures of the distillery and i don't know if you have mitch but it's unbelievable beautiful setting a beautiful backdrop of mountains it looks like a a kind of place that would be a, a really lovely spot to go have a few drams it looks like they've got it really nicely set up there for sort of drinking lounges and things like that as well so and then also uh, on top of that is is this one of one auction, which is being organised by Sotheby's. I, I just keep seeing another blockbuster after another blockbuster of bottlings that are going to be released for this particular event, and it's all for charitable causes. It's it's a it's a massive massive event. Um, what's the date, Mitch? Is it the fourth of December? Uh, I believe it's the 3rd of December, but yeah, absolutely stunning on this. I mean, it's uh, it's great to see all the distilleries coming together, uh, working together for for this charitable cause. You know, the rec- they estimate they're going to get r- well over a million pounds for this auction here. And looking at the lots, what have we got? I, I just took some notes on this before. So we've got um, 42 different lots from whiskies all around Scotland. Uh, and some incredible, I, I don't know what standouts there are for you, Daz, but for me, I think William Grant and Sons have gone way overboard on this. I mean, the ones they've put in there are, are absolutely unbelievable. Um, they've got four bottles of Glenfiddich in this beautiful packaging. Uh, one is a 66-year-old. There's also a 64, a 63, and a 62-year-old in that, which is mm. just insane. And they're beautiful-looking bottles. Um, the other one that caught my eye is the Balvenie 65, I think it is, that they've got. But then the big one, and I think this is the showstopper for me anyway, is a Ladyborn that's the the David Bailey's John Lennon bottle. I don't know if you saw that one, but it's I a saw their packaging. Yeah. Like it's That's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I knew that, I know that, um, I think Jonathan Driver is kind of leading this, isn't he? Yeah. As, as yeah, like the whole thing. I think he's kind of right at the the front of it all. So it's good. It's great to see Grant's been so heavily involved, and and, and congratulations to Jonathan for getting as far as he's got. Now they haven't done the auction yet, um, but uh, the bottles are being produced. Um, a lot of them are already produced. I saw the Bowmore was at a fifty-one year old. I was just going to say, yeah, the the Bomore Onyx, it's called. Yeah. It looks like it's landed from space, mate. It's unbelievable. It, it actually does. It looks like a meteor. Um, it looks beautiful, though. The whiskey is dark. It looks like your black Bomore uh, style stuff, you know, so that's really exciting. I actually saw a beautiful uh, bottle as well from Glen Turret, uh, which was in Green Lalique, which I don't yeah. think they've ever done before, which is really cool. Um, and that's a very sort of design orientated piece um, and some lovely old whiskies within that crystal decanter as well. So the other thing that caught my eye was the Lagavulin that's been produced for the Jazz Festival. Now, have you ever been over to the Jazz Festival? Daz? I haven't, mate. No. Jazz and Daz. It's like you know, it's meant sure, to be. Uh, the, the Daz Festival. What about the that? Daz Festival, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so the jazz festival over in Isla has been running for 22 years now, and Lagavulin has brought out a 22-year-old uh, Lagavulin. All right, so in honor of Lagavulin doing this jazz bottling, I thought I'd read out their tasting notes in the description to some jazz. So this Lagavulin is matured in refill American and European oak, top-dressed by active casks. Some of them wine-seasoned. Lagavulin Jazz 2020 has a delightful, rewarding, and unusual mix of richness, fruitiness, and power on the palate. A full-bodied expression that is extra smooth in texture, with an intense, sweet, and smoky taste, and a gloriously long finish. It can be savoured at natural strength or with a drop of water. Of that, man. Jazzy, man. It was really good, jazzy. Very jazzy. Was like, that was like being in a jazz club. It was, wasn't it? Get a smoke on. Delightful. Mm. So, region wise, let's talk about regions. So, when we talk about regions, we've got five whiskey making regions, as I'm sure most people listening to our podcast knows that. And you're going to name them for us Isla, the Lowlands, the Highlands, and Islands, Speyside, and Campbelltown. See, it was interesting, right? When Daz and I talk about this, we were quite involved in it with, with uh, back in our Diageo days because we were always talking about the classic six. Mm. Remember doing that, going around, and you know, yeah. we always had that plinth that we were putting everywhere, and they were talking about the, the six different uh, single malts from Diageo. And obviously, Campbelltown was always missed out of that region kind of well, conversation. It did, did it drop out of the regions at one point? It did, yeah, because it, it went down to two distilleries and for a region it has to have three distilleries and that's why glenn guile came back in with frank hardy mm-hmm. bringing that back in and 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 rejuvenating that that was whole the whole part of, of why that distillery came back again was to rejuvenate that whole campbelltown region yeah so this is this is the thing isn't it the whiskey regions are not hard and fast and, and this is where i think we get it's a great guide that's what the, the regions are. And they're, they were an indicator generally for um, styles of, of whiskey, I suppose. Now, to go and say the rules are a Highland whiskey may, must be made in this way or a Speyside whiskey must be made in this way is, is not true. It's not right either because there are tons of examples of whiskies that don't exactly align with their particular region. There's also some subtleties within that and the Campbelltown one's a good one because it, it slipped out of the regions and then it came back in or, or, or maybe it was never involved and then it came back in uh, in terms of being geographically recognised as a region by a body, shall we say. Speyside is a funny one because a lot of... So Macallan's a good example. Macallan, from memory, doesn't say Speyside on the bottle. Macallan is a Highland single malt whiskey. But ha- Speyside is a subregion of the Highland. So Speyside distilleries can carry the name Highland instead of Speyside, should they choose. Indeed, mate. But I think, yeah. you know, it's when you look back on history, Speyside has got such a long history uh, with that, with, with being associated, I suppose, with having top class whiskies that yeah. most distilleries do want to put Speyside on the label. I mean, you know, for someone start, starting in whiskey, I, 
I always say Speyside is is similar to the Cognac region in France when you you're talking about yeah. that because not not that any region has a better quality of whiskey, um, but you know you look at the top selling single malts in the world, and and I think it's now five of them are from the Speyside region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's not a surprise. So to go back a little bit further, then, so you talked about the classic malts where we had the six malts from Diageo, um, who were using the regions to help people navigate a category as a marketing tool. And that was good. That was very clever. And it, w- and it worked. Definitely worked. You know, I think people, when they tasted a Lagavulin, they felt that smoky whiskies were generally associated with Isla. Uh, whiskies with a fuller body and a fuller flavor were typically associated with the Highlands. So Oban is a good example of that. And Speyside Moor is a good example of it, of Speyside. And Glen Kinche being light and easygoing, malty, not too heavy, good example of, of a lowland if you were just generalize them. But it does go back a bit further than that. It actually goes back quite a lot further than that. And there was the, the Wash Act of 1784, um, which is really the first time that we see a clear use of terminology uh, to describe Highlands and Lowlands whiskies. It was a uh, a system really that was put in place not for flavor profiling or to help drinkers navigate the category. It was much more fundamental than that. It was actually a taxation thing um, where the lowland region was taxed very similarly to how it would be down south in England, um, whereas the highlands uh, were taxed very differently. And the implication that had was was a very simple one. Um, It meant that Stills that in the lowlands tended to be a lot bigger uh, than they did in the highlands. And the highland distilleries, because they were taxed on the volume they produced, um, would 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 be taxed less. Um, therefore, they could run smaller operations, which generally were for local consumption, which wasn't always the case in the lowland region. I think it's interesting as well when you look at the amount of lost distilleries we have in the lowlands of Scotland. Uh, and I'm lucky enough to live in between two of them where I am over in Fife. One of them is the Grange over in Burnt Island, which still yeah, yeah. exists today, uh, yeah. which I kind of went over there during lockdown actually and poked my uh, my video camera around about, sent the drone up and took it right over what's still in existence of the Grange distillery. Um, and the other one is Kennet Pans, which is um, over in Clackmannanshire. And I think Kennet Pans is one of the the kind of stories that are not not a lot of people know about, but it was actually the first real commercial distillery in Scotland that was making. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Whiskey to a point that the amount of tax that was paid on this whiskey was the same or a little bit more, I believe, than all of the land tax that was paid in Scotland at the time. Mm. So pretty incredible. And, and, and the history of that goes back to the 1700s. We, we kind of think that the, 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 the distillery was up and running in a big way by 1730. And it was the, the Steens who started it all off. Really kind of clever family. And they married into the Hagues. So the Hagues and the Steens who became this kind of powerhouse of Scotch whiskey making at the time. Um, but what they did was, we, if, if anyone ever wants to go and visit Kenneth Pans, it's really interesting to see it. I don't recommend doing what I did, which was kind of jumped over the fence and got in trouble by the people that own it. But yeah. you can uh, you can get a really good view of it. So where it's situated is, if you go along the, the coast, well, if you go west on uh, the River Forth or the Firth of Forth, you come to Clackmannanshire and there's the Clackmannanshire Bridge. If you head north over that, you kind of look left and you see this old ruin of a distillery. And yeah. that is Kennett Pans. Uh, one, a couple of firsts that happened in Kennett Pans, it was the first ever distillery to have column distillation, we believe. And it was also the first distillery to have a steam train uh, running to it as well. Uh, and this, okay. the, this, the steam family were very clever in what they did was because they essentially, they had a fleet of nine ships running from the distillery going all the way down to England. And one of the, this is where it kind of gets a, a little bit crazy, right? Because what you have to remember is a lot of these distilleries, to your point, Daz, they had big stills. Uh, but the reason for that was because they were making so much liquid to then ship down to England eventually to be yeah. rectified into gin. And going back to regionality and, and why we have a particular or a set style of whiskey from these, these regions, one of those big reason, reasons for that in the lowlands is because of this. So bigger right. still produces a light, lighter spirit characteristic. That's what these guys were doing. Uh, but, you know, 1786, we have the Scottish Distillery Act, which came in, which imp imposed huge taxes on Scottish distillers, sending their spirit down to England, essentially making it a business that, that couldn't really succeed anymore. Uh, you know, these guys down in London got pissed off that when they were hearing that everything was was brought from Scotland to be turned into gin and they wanted to do it themselves. So that was a massive hit to the lowland whiskey making uh, community, a really bad point in history for lowland whiskey distilling. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there were a lot of distilleries in the lowlands and you could kind of break them down into almost regions. You know, you've got Fife, uh, you've got uh, South Lowlands down into the borders. 
kind of northwest and northeast and things like that. And you know, you look at the list of distilleries that have gone, and there's there's tons of them, you know, and some of them have actually gone on to become very highly sought after. I'm thinking of distilleries like Little Mill, for example. Mm-hmm. Little Mill was an interesting one because it's literally on the canal. The distillery sits in the lowlands, but their water source is actually in the highlands. It's across the highland line, which is quite cool. Rosebank, uh, which will reopen very soon. Uh, another distillery, which is highly sought after, um, that, that's, that's been away, but it's going to come back. St. Magdalene as well, one of those distilleries that sort of springs to mind just as I'm sort of thinking uh, through these different places. So, yeah, it's um, Kenneth Pan's a funny one, though, because it shut in 1825. And, and that was that was when distilling was really kicking off again. You know, it's, it's strange that that distillery disappeared so early and around that time. Mm. I mean, it's not strange. They just they just absolutely got crushed because they were selling so much down to England. They couldn't do yeah. it anymore. So they didn't have a local market um, for it. It's, uh, I mean, there's stories about the, the Steens actually trying to bribe excise officers. So let me ask you a question then. What's your favourite lowland whiskey that you've ever tasted? I don't know about the best tasting one I've ever had. The most valuable one I've ever had was the St. Madeline that you mentioned earlier on from the Lithgow. Back in our Diageo days, I managed to get one of those from the shop. But I look at it now and I'm like, oh shit, I drank all that. That was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? There's been a few grains, a few very old grains that I've enjoyed. We're talking about King's Barns today, and one of the best whiskies I tasted in lockdown was their distillery exclusive, um, which you can't get anymore. So this is not a shameless plug. Um, the distillery reserve that went into port wine casks, I thought was sensational. I thought it was absolutely superb. It comes in at 59.8%. It's got this lovely reddy kind of color to it and tons and tons of flavor. I think it's a six-year-old uh, single malt. Um, so yeah, I was I was really, really impressed with that. And Other that had a that, crazy color to it as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at that. I mean, you can. Yeah. I'll put a picture up on the Instagram channel at Not Another Whiskey Podcast. See what I did there? <laughs> Well, it's a nice segue as well, Daz, because we are going to be doing a giveaway with Kings Barnes as well. So, guys, if you don't follow us already on Not Another Whiskey Podcast on Instagram, do it now. Uh, you've got a chance to win two bottles of Kings Barnes and a distillery visit for two they're giving away. And it's probably a good time to drop in this interview from Peter. Should we uh, hear from him and hear yeah, what's all mate, about? I'm really, really interested to hear more from Peter because, as we said, you know, we know this area very well. Um, I don't know enough about the distillery. I really don't. You know, I need to. I need to spend a little bit more time understanding what the vision was. You know, for for Kings Barnes. So this is Peter Holroyd from Kings Barnes Distillery. Peter, thank you so much for being on the show. Great to have you. Hello, mate. Yeah, good to be here. Nice to see you again. Again, indeed. I mean, you know, we were just chatting there last time. We we had a chat. Was actually at the distillery, which was a lot nicer than the Zoom call right now. Uh, <laughs> and I th- I think that was uh, I think that was back in in June. Uh, I remember it being kind of warm, but it wasn't really that nice a day. I think it was quite a bit I of think, rain going on. Yeah, I think my lasting memory of seeing you was sitting on some casks. Uh, can't remember if we were having a drama or not, but we were certainly sitting on a bunch of casks. So you say S- sitting on some casks. <laughs> talking about yeast strains and that all that it, kind of yeah. good stuff and yeah well no thanks again for being on the show peter i know you're a you're a busy man so so great to get you on here um you are the the distillery manager at king's barnes you're the head honcho the main guy in charge here 
So, you know, we're going to pick your brains a little bit on Kings Barnes today. And we've been talking already about this lowland style or this lowland region, I should say, of Scotch whiskey that we have. And, you know, with Kings Barnes, I know you guys have always really kind of, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but fitted into that stereotype of what a lowland whiskey is with regards to the, the flavor profile that you're producing. No, definitely. I mean, right from the off, uh, the plan from the Weems family, our owners, has always been let's target a lowland style um, not only because that's kind of provenance and that's nice in terms of uh, keeping it regional but also because making a light elegant floral style of whiskey um, is going to mature a, a little bit faster than, than maybe a heavier more oily uh, highland or or um, or even some some of the space sides are kind of more more weighty in that regard so it's uh, to have a nice light elegant style of spirit and uh, means that you've you've got a little bit uh, better chance of being able to put out some younger stock um, you know in the earlier days and, and 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 be proud of it and i remember from previous chats we you, you talked about that that light style, that fruity style comes from your long fermentation time, right? You guys, what is it? Is, correct me if I'm wrong here, three to five days, is that right? That's exactly it. You were, you were listening. I was <laughs> listening a little bit, yeah, mate. <laughs> that's that's a quite a good memory from the summer, you know? I've done a lot since the that's summer, brilliant. so I'm surprised I, I did remember that there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's bang on. Long fermentation times gives, gives the yeast a bit, more, uh, a bit more of a chance to... Um, to, to give some fruity flavour, um, and of course, two two different strains of yeast as well means that you've got uh, you've got each strain um, contributing a little bit something different to the mix. Let's cut, let's let's move away from the the whiskey for just a second. Let's go back to you because you've got a really interesting history when it comes to how you got to the position you are. Um, I know you started there 2014, I think it was. So let's rewind. Let's let, you know, tell everyone what you did uh, previously to, to becoming the distillery manager at Kings Barnes. Um, so I was, well, I did the Heriot Watt Brewing Distilling course um, over in Edinburgh. So I did that for four years and uh, really got into home brewing um, when I was doing that. So um, there's a little brewery on site there and um, as part of the student projects, they get to make beers, uh, well, beer and, and distill some stuff as well. They've got a tiny little still there as well. Um, but it was fantastic because back then, you know, we kind of learned um, a lot about brewing um, through getting stuck in and, and doing it at home and making batches every week. Um, so that was great fun. Um, and then I, I really got into a proper production environment after that. I, I went to St. Austell's Brewery down in Cornwall um, for a summer and worked down there. Uh, and then I became the brewer, uh, the head brewer for a, a tiny wee brewery outside of Glasgow called Straven Ales. Um, and I did that for four years and absolutely loved it. Um, helped make some recipes with them of a couple of different ales. And then in 2014, a wee change attacked into the distilling world. And, uh, and I've been here ever since. Amazing. And it, yeah, I suppose it makes sense for a brewer to, to go into whiskey, right? I mean, it's a natural progression, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. I mean, two of the guys that work in production here, uh, both Gareth and Scott, um, they've both got brewing backgrounds, backgrounds as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not unique. <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of um, similar processes up to a point, of course, until you, until you fire all that fermentation into a still then it's, it's essentially the same process 
Absolutely. Man, I'm just thinking as well, that must have been hilarious for you back in your student days. You know, I can imagine the guy who's doing the accounting course, you know, being like, oh, yeah. And then along comes Peter with his uh, with his beer that's been brewing up as part of the project. You must have been one of the most popular guys on, 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 on campus, right? Oh, it was brilliant. Hi, it was, it was excellent. I mean, to be honest with you, we got pretty obsessed with it. At one stage, we were brewing almost every week and far too much beer. <laughs> brilliant. So, well, since we're on the subject of beer, what's your favourite beer? What do you, what's your go-to? Oh, no, man, that's a that's a good question. It depends depends on the on the moment, uh, what time of day it is, and who you're with, and what you're doing. Uh, after a shift here, uh, I'll probably drink something lighter, maybe a, a Williams Brothers uh, Pale Ale, or um, yeah, I mean. I, I play about with it a wee bit. Um, I like saisons as well. Once in a while, sour beers, you know, proper funky. Uh, oh, you're going there, man. You're going there. Fermentation, yeah. Um, yeah. You guys ever talked to any breweries about your casks being used for? Not yet. Not yet. No. Um, Be an interesting I mean, one for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know some some distilleries have done that, haven't they? Is it yeah. Glenn Fiddick? Uh, was it then that did the the ale? Yeah, Glenn. Well, it was a, an IPA with Glenn. IPA, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I no, but we're we're not looking at that at the moment. Um, no, we're uh, we're sticking to sticking to our wood policy, which I'm I'm sure we'll go on to uh, in a wee bit. So one of the things we've been been chatting about is just the kind of history of the lowlands. So let's get into a little bit of history about Kingsbarns. Tell us a, a bit about how you guys all started up there. Yeah. So um, history of Kingsbarns. Well, we were. Originally, actually, the idea of a local golf caddy, he wanted to start a distillery. Um, you know, he's had his clients asking him uh, after a round of golf, I'd like to drink some whiskey and, and go and see a distillery. And there was nowhere for miles around. I think the closest ones were maybe Glenn Kinchy and ooh, Tully Barton, probably. So they're both a good jaunt away from St. Andrews, you know, uh, home of golf. So uh, he was actually the one, Douglas Clement, that had the idea to, to start a distillery in, uh, in this old barn building. Um, and he managed to secure a grant from the Scottish government. Um, and then it was really um, when the Weems family uh, came into play and they had an independent, independent bottling business, uh, Weems Malts, um, which was started back in 2005 by William Weems. Um, so they already had knowledge and experience in the Scottish whisky industry. They had the contacts uh, and importantly, they had the funds to be able to back something like this because, you know, it's uh, it's such long lead times before you get your product back, you know, before you can get your product out, launch it and then get some of that, get some of that uh, capital back. So um, you need a lot of uh, a lot of backing, significant backing to start any distillery. So it was really when the Weems family came on board, which is, you know, a, a Fife family, funnily enough, they really um, came on board and provided the backing. Um, and then it was built in 2014 was when we were finished finished off. Um, so it took a couple of years to build it, but it's a, it's a gorgeous old building. You, you've you seen it yourself, Mitch, but, um, you know, lovely old sandstone walls. Um, it's an old farmsteading. Uh, so you've got this... Uh, old ducot or dovecot where all the doves used to be kept for their meat and their eggs and we've put our first cask in there um yeah and it's just it's a lovely wee, lovely wee distillery to work in we're, we're not very big but we're we're very proud about what we what we are putting out and uh, in terms of whiskey and and showing people around as well a visitor visitor side of it's a big part of it as well 
I was just going to say that. I mean, it's absolutely stunning, not just the production side of things, but the way you guys have done the shop, the the restaurant there. Uh, it really does cater for people going to to visit the distillery, right? Which is a, and and that's great to see with all these new distilleries that are opening up now. They they definitely cater for that visitor side of things, which you guys have done amazingly well there. Oh, thanks a lot, mate. Appreciate it. No, it's uh, uh it's important to uh, to be able to show off uh, a little bit of a such a nice building and uh, and make sure that folk can come here and experience it and enjoy it and you know we're making gin here now as well we've been doing that for a couple of years we've got uh, nice dinners uh, sometimes throughout the year as well and um, so people can come across and uh, and have a have a dinner and a dram so we're we're doing all sorts yeah <laughs> i didn't know you guys were doing dinners i look forward to the uh, the invite for that one peter <laughs> no, I, like, I forgot about Darnley's as well. You guys do the whole Darnley's gin experience there, which which is really cool. Do you get involved in that as well? Do you take people through that, or are you just whiskey? No, not myself. Uh, we've actually got a gin distiller, uh, Scott Gowans, who does um, kind of handles that side of it. Um, but no, it's separate building. It's a little uh, a little farm cottage that we we revamped into a wee gin distillery. Um, even put in tiny little, uh, tiny little stills that you know you can distill your own. So make your own gin experience. So you come in, uh, you get led through. You know what kind of botanicals do you want to use? Um, and at the end of the day, you come out after having had a couple of cocktails, uh, a tour of the the main gin distillery, and then uh, you get to make your own gin and come out with a bottle of that. So it's a lovely wee personal touch. And a lot of folk have actually um, once they've made their. Gin, and they love it so much that they'll put in an order for for one of the team here to be able to make another bottle for them. Um, so no, it's just a cool cool experience for a gift or something like that as well. Yeah. So let's get away from this gin stuff. Let's get back onto the whiskey pure because that's what we're here for. <laughs> um, so uh, so what what does a the average sort of day look like for yourself being the distillery manager there? A typical day would be coming in, you know, getting everything started, getting the boiler on, getting the cooling tower running and making sure we've done all the checks so we'll we'll check the fermentations we'll see what the um you know what the gravities are like in terms of how much alcohol have you produced from every fermentation um and then we'll get the stills running and get the mash on um and it's a very very busy start to the morning and then you get a chance for a wee coffee break um, and then throughout the day you're just keeping an eye on everything and making sure it's all ticking over nicely but yeah, we, we basically try and run to the same parameters every time. You know, we, now that we feel we've got the, the quality of the spirit right, the challenge now is trying to keep that as consistent as possible. Um, and then, and then you know, we can finally get it into casks as well. Quite handy if you're going for a coffee break when you've got that nice little uh, coffee shop on site. So that's pretty handy, right? Yes. Pop over there. Okay, indeed, yeah. Double espressos. We, we, we coffee and a cake. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the whiskey that, that you guys have been producing which i'm a huge fan of so dream to dram let's let's start with that um tell everyone what that consists of yeah so um dream to dram um in terms of the liquid before it goes into a cask i think you tried our new make when you were here last didn't you i did yeah so um you'll know yourself the new make is um quite light quite um kind of red summer berry fruits um a lot of orchard fruit as well, which is what you get in a lot of new make spirits. But on the palate, you know, it's quite sweet. Um, and then a little bit gingery as well, because yeah, I mean, it's uh, 63 and a half percent. It's what we put it in at and we sell the new make here as well. 
So that's what we're starting off with is, is new make spirit. And for the dream to dram, we've got a wood policy of 90% first fill bourbon casks and 10% shaved toasted recharred casks from Portugal. Um, so the bourbon casks make up the bulk of, of Dream to Dram. You know, that's the backbone to, to that whiskey. It really is. Um, and bourbon casks, I think, just work superbly well with, with the King's Barnes character, with that sort of style of, of whiskey. Um, it just kind of rounds off all the edges, gives a wee hint of tropical fruit. I just think they blend so, so beautifully. Um, but the, the STR casks is what provides a wee bit of interest in these these shaved toasted rechard casks are the what I call it is it's the glue that holds the dram together, and I mean that almost literally. It's it's a sticky, sticky, dark, rich liquid. Um, it's uh, it looks like molasses. You know this whiskey. It's it's really um, sort of plummy and spicy. Um, so if you just use ten percent of of that, you know nine bourbon barrels to one shaved toasted rechard cask. Um, it adds quite a bit of depth to the dram. Um, and I think that's maybe what gives us some of our uh, kind of almost raspberry notes you can sometimes pick up or, um, or perhaps even some of the, the more spicy finish to the, to the tail end of the dram. You know, that sort of uh, slightly later on in the palate, you get a bit of ginger in the, in the, in the finish. So, um, so that's really the makeup uh, of, of the dram. Um, and that's been our flagship our flagship whiskey and the favourite of quite a few folk um, amongst our range, even though it's it was the first the first really you know publicly available dram that we we've, we've produced. It's it remains one of the firm favourites, and it's I think it's probably still one of my favourites. Yeah, um, it, I mean for me it, it drinks a lot older than it is, and you know I don't know you don't mind me saying that because you are a young distillery, twenty fourteen when you guys started, but. You know, I think it really does have some age to it. And to your point, I think that's the the STR casts coming through and giving it, like you say, that depth and flavor at the end. I also get this nice sort of creaminess of Dream to Dram on the palate. Do you, do you get that coming through? Yeah, yeah. A little bit of kind of uh, almost uh, custardy vanilla, like a soft toffee sort of thing sometimes. But it's, yeah, it's, it's quite gentle, isn't it? There's nothing, um, it's not, it's, it's got a lovely texture to it. Um, as I say, it's it's quite a summery dram as well. I think it, it's it's one that you can imagine having in your back garden in a, a summer's afternoon, something like that. You know, a wee highball. Um, so you guys do uh, a bit yeah, with highballs, don't you? Yeah, uh, it works. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about the other expressions. So when we talk about Kings Barns, we've got um, I think you guys have got another three, maybe four expressions out now. Am I correct in saying that? Yes, yeah, so we've done a few single casks, uh, mostly ex bourbon. Um, and some of them have been superb as well. After that, what we've done is we've got Bal one called Balcomi, which is our sherry cask um, maturation. So that's American oak, uh, Solera system butts. So these um, 500 litre sherry butts have been used uh, for sherry for quite a long time. And as a result, the sherry's taken out a lot of that um, sort of tannic wood um, sort of component. So it's, although it's, you know, these, these casks have only been used for sherry in the past, you know, their first fill. Um, this dram, Balcomi, it's, it's not a sherry bomb. It's, it's still quite light, quite elegant. You know, these, these sherry casks, um, with, with everything that we're doing here, um, the wood policy is, has always been, you need to try and make sure that the, 
the spirit quality uh, matches quite nicely with the, the wood and that there's a lot of balance there. Uh, and then, of course, you get complexity through maturation, but it's trying to match the, match the casks with the, um, the Kingsbarns DNA of that, uh, that light, elegant style. Um, so what you get in the Balcomi is a very, very light, um, light touch on the wood. Um, so it's, yeah, you pick up sherry, yeah, you pick up fruitcake, but it's, it's not being decimated by, <laughs> by previous cask contents or, or by, by too heavy wood, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Still quite light, quite elegant. And what's the, what's the future? You got anything exciting coming out that you're working on that you can tell us about? Yeah, we've got uh, something quite exciting coming out at the end of the month, actually. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to say anything about it, but it's... <laughs> I'll, I'll just beep it out, mate. I'll beep it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to be a tasty one. I've tasted it. It's uh, something a wee bit different, yeah. Um, we've also had we've had a couple of um, sort of limited editions as well where we've played about with um, mixing sherry and bourbon casks or, or, or we did a, a pure shaved toasted rechard uh, cask expression which has been a uh, a really interesting one i remember um, that one I, I think that one was so dark wasn't it i just remember it being oh, like almost red like mahogany sort of craziness coming through yeah completely preposterous whiskey it's it's <laughs> very very dark very rich um some people absolutely love it it's uh yeah so that one sold out pretty quickly um that was that was quite interesting just to see what it was like after you know five years in in these uh casks that have been shaved recharred uh last time we chatted you said no peated within the system you didn't want to go down that road so i'm assuming that's going to be the same way yeah 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 quite a few folk have asked us oh you're going to do some peated mall you're going to put get some get a wee bit of smoke in there but no you're exactly right i've always been paranoid about uh, really? putting any peated malt through this distillery because It'll take quite a long time to to get that out of the get that out of the plant, you know. Um, it, it just takes quite a while, especially if you're making, uh, you know, such a sort of a, a style of spirit that's that's all about these top fruit notes and doesn't have a lot of weight to it. And then, you know, it's going to take quite a wee while to get to get all of the peat uh, out of the liquid. So we we haven't opted to to do that. But um, I know last time you were here. I maybe said to you we were we were playing about with expeated casks, so casks that have previously held, um, you know, Laphroaig or or something that's um, something that's a bit a bit more uh, a bit more in the smoky side, shall we say? Um, so we've we filled some of these casks with our spirit, and they're turning out really nicely. Um, we've not released anything out of that yet, um, but it's. Uh, you get just get this lovely little thread of smoke coming through it. It's not ridiculous, but um, it's a really gentle um, sort of just a wee touch of peat. Um, the casks that I've tasted, some of them actually taste kind of melonish, um, which is quite weird, um, and a tiny wee bit salty as well. So um, no, it's going to be fantastic to see to see a release uh, when we okay. when we finally do it when we think it's ready. Very cool. And it's, you know, because we were chatting about regionality and how that those those lines are starting to get a lot more blurred now within Scotland. You know, lowlands aren't necessarily always doing unpeated and Isla's not necessarily always doing peated. So it's it's interesting to see those kind of experiments going on for sure with you guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the overarching 
kind of principle for us is making making a spirit that's that's light and elegant and fruity, and we're trying to um, give the spirit it's it's put out for the core expression something that we can stand behind it and say, you know, this is the King's Barnes character. But once we've got the core expressions out, then there's no reason, you know, why we can't play a, play around a little bit and and uh, and release something a wee bit interesting, a wee bit uh, left of field, um, you know, a wee wild card here and there. Um, but that's, uh, for a young distillery, it's so important to try and um, establish who you are. You know, you need to let people know what you're all about. And um, I don't think there's any point in, in coming out with with all sorts of different expressions here, there and everywhere. Um, you know, peated, cognac cask, whatever. Um, if you if you spread yourself too thin, who are you? What are you all about? It's important to to have to have some core releases that let people know that. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right, especially for a new distillery like yourselves. All right, Peter. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Great to see you again. And uh, I look forward to doing this in person uh, at some point soon. I need to get back up there and uh, have a few few drams with you, mate. And uh, yes, see please. What's been happening? I know, no, definitely. I uh, come come across when you're when you're next over in, in Fifeland. Absolutely. All right, Peter. We'll take care. Thank you very much. No worries. Cheers. Thanks, much. Bye. So thanks again to Kings Barnes for sponsoring this episode. And remember to check out our Instagram page for that giveaway that we mentioned earlier on. Uh, the other thing that Kings Barnes are doing is if you go into their website, which is kingsbarnesdistillery.com, order any bottle or bottles of any of the whiskies that we've been talking about, and then just put in NAWP5 uh, as the, the promo code, you get free postage and packaging on any order that you put in. So another little bonus there from the uh, from the Kings Barnes guys. So Daz, what do you think for the next episode, man? It's getting towards Thanksgiving, Mitch, and you've lived in America for a long time. Uh, you guys, I'm sure, must have celebrated that. Probably still celebrate that. I also know it's a massive one for whiskey lovers. You know, I remember going over there at certain times of the year and. The build-up to Thanksgiving, the build-up to holiday season over there was just maddened, but whiskey was a big part of it for, for a lot of the people who I was I was chatting to. Um, we've also got quite a, a good wee following as well. Um, a lot of our listeners, people that are tuning in from the States and things have been sending us a few messages and things like that. So it just feels right that we should do a Thanksgiving episode. Indeed, mate. Yeah, so yeehaw to that. Uh, so tune in guys for the next episode where we are going to go stateside uh, maybe have a couple of special guests from the US uh, on board and uh, yeah thanks for listening this time and we'll check you guys the next time thank you so much so roast your turkeys fill your glasses and we'll see you soon cheers <laughs> I like that Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.